let's uh, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, get out your notes. Thank you, worship team. You're amazing. Yes, sir. Thanks, Chad. You're amazing, too. You're amazinger. <laughs> this is my wife. She's amazing. Want to hear something she did this morning? Okay, so I have been um, a little all over the place, like, this whole last week, and especially the last, like, 24 hours. A little bit all over the place. And so um, just, I don't, you know, just all over the place in every way. So uh, if you're pulling out your Bibles, John 15, while I share this really relevant story to your life. Um, this morning, I, I, I was in the kitchen, and I was, like, going up to get changed or something in some sort of hurry. And I was like, I turned around, I was like, babe, I'm really sorry that you can't be married to, like, a normal person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, sorry that this is just, I'm, I'm not this, me. I'm out of control all the time, just kind of going all over the place. And this amazing woman of God, she was like, she actually goes, babe, if you're like that, it'd be pretty boring. I was like, oh, like, I'm going to kiss your face right now. Uh, but the kids were there, and so we didn't, you know. But anyway, she's amazing. Babe, I love you. Is Smith sleeping in here? Oh, I love it. We love babies in this church, don't we? So we're going to, oh, I just love it. I love it, I love it. Okay, uh, did I tell you to turn to Luke 15? Okay. I told you to go to John 15. This is bad news already. Y'all have John 15, don't you? Wow. Well, everybody pull out a Bible because we're actually in Luke 15. So uh, no screens today, no verses on the TVs. Like I said, it's been one of those weeks, huh? Oh, man. Okay, so pull out your Bibles. If you haven't pulled out your notes, pull those out as well. We're big believers in taking notes in church because maybe God's going to do something great, and if not, at least you have something to draw on and keep yourself busy. So we like pull out your Bibles, pull out your notes. We are going to be doing uh, part three of our series that we began a couple weeks ago called Jesus People. Has anybody been encouraged by either part one or part two or both? We are having so much fun talking about this idea of Jesus People. We believe that God has given us this encouragement, this invitation, this challenge even, to use 2018 as a year to really explore what it would look like to simply be defined by Jesus, not our, not our race or our politics or our socioeconomics or our opinions about this or that, not by our church or our religion, but what does it look like to be a people simply defined by Jesus? Been, it's been fun. I'm personally encouraged and challenged. And uh, this week, we're going to do part three. So at the top of your notes, I want you to write the title of this morning's message as we get going. Jesus People, part three. It's titled, You Are the One. You Are the One. Let me hear you say, I'm the One. I'm the One. You Are the One is what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to have uh, lots of Bible coming at you this morning. I hope you're ready for it. You ready for more Bible than you've had in church in a long time? I'm just, I'm pretty confident of that. Maybe it won't be, but I think so. So we're in Luke 15, which is where we're supposed to be. And I've written down John 15 on my notes. I'm going to make, yep. Okay, yeah, it's Luke. If you only knew. <laughs> this is put together right now, actually, compared to what it's been. Okay. Luke 15. We're picking up a story about Jesus, which is so fun. I uh, love Jesus, and we're going to be reading a story about Jesus, and I want to read the first three verses right off the bat uh, to kind of help get us context for the setting of where we're at, where we pick up this story, okay? So we're going to read verses one through three. It says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him being Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So they told him, so he told them 
this parable. This is our setting for where we pick up Luke chapter 15 this morning. Uh, Jesus is there, and he has this crowd around him, and in the crowd are all kinds of people. There's tax collectors and sinners, which is kind of Bible language for like the people who are on the outside of church, you know? And then they've got the scribes and the Pharisees, which is kind of language for the people who are usually on the inside, uh, but they're we're actually on the outside. They had their own problems, but um, how many of you know you can be in church and still have your own problems, right? <laughs> so he's got a little bit of everybody in this crowd. He's got tax collectors, sinners, scribes, Pharisees, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everybody, and they have all come near to hear him. They're all curious about him, so this is where he's at. He's there. These people are here. They're looking at him with essentially these eyes saying, like, give us something, Kind of like you're sitting in those chairs looking at me right now, right? No. So they're looking at Jesus saying, you know, what, what do you have to say? Tell us about who you are, all these sorts of things. And so Jesus, in verse 3, it says, so he told them this parable. And uh, he actually goes on to tell three different parables. And he would tell things called parables. If you're not familiar with what a parable is, it's just Jesus would use these elements of everyday normal life that we do understand at different times. And he would tell these stories about them using natural things that we would understand so that he could illustrate and communicate to us truths about the kingdom of God or about God himself that we don't maybe understand as intuitively. So he was trying to use things we do understand to help us understand things we don't understand. So he's telling these parables. They're not stories that actually happen. They're more illustrations, okay? So he's sitting with a crowd of people. They all want to know what he has to say. And so he looks at them and he tells them some parables. He tells them three parables. And so uh, would you read with me the rest of Luke chapter 15? And everybody said, wow, we really going to do that? Yes, we're really going to do that. Can you follow along, stay awake, be engaged? Can we do this? Oh, it's so good. Okay, verse chapter four. Jesus starts off telling this story. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Story number one. Story number two. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek it diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Story number three is the longest one. And he says this, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance. So the father divides the property between the two sons, and not many days later, the younger son takes all that he has, and he took a journey into a far country, and there... He squanders everything, all of his property and reckless living. And he arose in, oh, and arose in that country. Ooh, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
I will arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he gets up. He comes to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father sees him. And he felt compassion. And he ran. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. And where was I? And the son (laughs) said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this My son was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant says to the brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But this brother was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him Treated him to come back into the party, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father says to this son, Son, you are always with me. You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your younger brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Luke chapter 15. Have you ever been misunderstood? You ever been misunderstood? Maybe you've misunderstood somebody else and uh, you've never been misunderstood. You probably have. You've probably misunderstood other people. I know I have been misunderstood before. Um, some may be bigger deals, but mostly not a big deal. But being misunderstood is something that I really don't like. I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't really like that. And that's kind of one of the reasons, like, that's, I, I've kind of realized that's the main thing that I'll get nervous about in preaching is, like, is this, is it, am I going to be misunderstood? Like, personally and with what God's saying, it's, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be misunderstood. And I've actually, I think, been misunderstood probably more than I think in my life because I feel like I hear somewhat often people kind of after they've been around me a little bit are like, you're different than I thought you were. I'm like, okay, is that good or bad? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Especially when they're like, you're more fun than I thought you'd be. It's like, okay, <laughs> cool. Thanks, I guess. I don't know. I don't like being misunderstood. I don't know if you like being misunderstood, but Jesus knows what it means to be misunderstood. This was one misunderstood man. Jesus was misunderstood when he was alive walking on earth. And today, Jesus is still, still definitely misunderstood. In Luke 15, he's, he's with this crowd. And uh, no doubt, just like anybody who's in any crowd, the crowd has opinions about Jesus because everybody knows if crowds have anything, they have opinions, right? They've got opinions about him, about what Jesus is all about and all of these sorts of things. And, and they, so they, they've come to hear him for themselves. Jesus, what are you all about? Then this is the crowd that Jesus is in. And this crowd is, is a lot like our world today. And, and really, it's probably even a lot like this room right now. We're, we're here. We're here to hear about Jesus here in this room. But in our world, in our lives, in your life, there's a lot of different thoughts and opinions about Jesus. Who is he? What was he all about? Why did he come? What did he do? Was he really who he said he was? All of these sorts of things. A lot, a lot of opinions. And if you go around, if you were to go in your life and ask the, the basic question to, to people in your life, what was Jesus all about? 
Or maybe you could say, like, why did Jesus come? Plain and simple. I mean, that's a pretty simple question. Why, why did Jesus come? I think you'd probably get a whole lot of different answers depending on who you're talking to. Some people who don't even follow Jesus will probably give you a variety of different answers. And the truth is, is that probably you'd get a few different answers from, from Christians too. Even if you ask people in church, why, why did Jesus come or what was Jesus all about? Basic question, but there's a whole lot of answers to it. And I think if we take the Christian answer, if we look at what I think most Christians would say is the answer to the question, why did Jesus come? The answer would be pretty much he came to die on the cross and forgive me of my sins so that I could go to heaven. Anybody thought that, believed that, said that? <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty common Christian answer. And yes, absolutely, this is true about Jesus, that he came so that he could die on a cross after living a perfect life so that he could forgive you of your sins so that you could spend eternity with him. This is really good news. This is really good news. And if, this, uh, if, it's, if that's not something that you've believed before, you haven't given your life to Jesus and received this forgiveness, you absolutely must. Being saved is phenomenal. Can I get an amen from any saved person in the room? Being saved is great. I am so thankful that Jesus died to forgive my sins, and now I get to be in heaven with him someday. But the problem with this answer is that uh, it's true, but it's, it's only part of the story. It's only part of the story. It's not the whole story. It's definitely Jesus did all of these things. But, but I think Jesus is a little misunderstood, and even we can misunderstand him in church when that's the bottom line. I can feel that I'm stepping on toes. It's going to be all right, though. See, the truth about salvation is that the salvation is not a destination. It's an invitation. Salvation is not about just a destination for you when you die. Salvation is an invitation into life now. So yes, it is a destination, but it's only part of the story. It's not the whole story. And we can misunderstand Jesus in thinking that he only came to affect how we die. My point is that there's more, my point is simply this, that there's more to Jesus. There's more to Jesus than a destination when we die. There's an invitation into life now. And the reason I think that it's pretty clear that Jesus has been misunderstood even in church is because a lot of us just live and a lot of Christians live like the only thing that Jesus impacts is my destination when I die. But I'm kind of on my own in the in-between by now and there. And so I think I should have like a little less fun than everybody else because I don't know if fun is of God or not. And I should behave better and do all of those things. And we're like, no wonder a lot of people are walking away from church because <laughs> we're missing a big part of the story so often. In John chapter 17, this is actually John chapter 17 this time. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus is praying. Uh, he, he's praying and he says this in John chapter 17. Magic. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Talking about his disciples. And he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We could spend like the next eight weeks on this verse, but we're just going to take about eight seconds here. Jesus is talking about his disciples and what the purpose of his ministry was on earth. He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And this word name is, is an all-encompassing word. It means everything represented by name, not just Andrew, but everything that Andrew means, personality, preferences, what I care about. Well, he, he, Jesus came, he's saying, I made known to the world who you are, what you're like. 
In Colossians 1, chapter, 15, or chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says this about Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint of his nature. What's my point in saying all of this? Is that if we want to be Jesus people, then we've got to see Jesus for who he really is, right? And I don't want us to misunderstand this good news, misunderstand what Jesus was all about. Yes, he came to do, to forgive sins, to, to bring us into heaven, but he also came to give us life now. But in, in, in the all-encompassing truth about why, was Jesus, why did Jesus come, what was Jesus all about? He came to display God. This is who Jesus is. He is the display of God to all of humanity. We could say it this way. You could write this down. Jesus didn't come so that you could know about God. Jesus came so that you can know God. This is Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is sitting in a world a lot like our world, a lot like this room like we talked about earlier. There's a lot of different people. They've got a lot of different opinions. They have some similarities with each other, no doubt. Probably some of them are from the same neighborhood and things like that. There's a lot of differences. All these different people represent the complexities of life. How many of you know if you just have one person, you have a complex life, right? And now he's got a crowd. There's the complexities of life, of personal things, of, of governmental things, cultural things. There's all kinds of stuff going on. In this crowd, there's no doubt different lifestyles represented. There's People have different politics. They have different backgrounds. They have different needs and questions. They have different passions. This, is, this isn't a simple situation that Jesus finds himself in in Luke chapter 15. And we also do not find ourselves in a simple situation in the world that we live in. Somebody explain to me what's happening with our government right this second. Guarantee nobody can do it. I know I sure can't. We're living in a complex world. We're living complex lives ourselves and, and in our culture. There's a lot going on, and especially when you get a few of us in a room together, there's just a lot going on. And the world is searching for the answer. And some people, like you, you've heard about Jesus, and some of you follow Jesus. Some of you are in different places with Jesus, and you've come to just hear Jesus and say, help? Can, can you help here? So this is the situation, Luke 15, we have a complex crowd representing a complex world. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, his one time on earth, maybe his one time on this hillside, maybe his one time with this crowd. And he's probably sitting there wondering, looking at their, their wondering, curious eyes, Jesus, we came to hear you. How do I make the most of this moment? Here I have the world, and it's come to me, God in the flesh, this isn't going to happen again. How do I make the most of this moment? How do I best do what I came to do? How, in this moment, can I show these people God? Show them what they're looking for. Jesus is asking himself this question, how do I, how do I show them God? So, apparently, his answer is, well, they're kind, of like a, they're kind of like little children. So how about I sit them down and tell them some stories? Did you know God's like that? I could sit on that for a little while personally. Maybe that's a little different than I thought. 
But he looks at this crowd. He doesn't see, he doesn't get intimidated by what they're bringing and all these kinds of stuff. He just sees kids with some questions. How about I tell you some stories? Tells them three stories. He tells them about a shepherd who lost one of his 100 sheep. And he goes off to find the sheep and leaving the others behind. And when he finds the one sheep, he throws a party. And he tells another story about a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one of the coins. She flips out, turns her house upside down and inside out to find this coin. And when she finds this coin, she throws a party. And then he tells a story about one father with two sons. One of them runs away and throws away his whole inheritance, but comes back and the father welcomes him home. And one son is bitter about the father's love towards the brother who screwed everything up. And yet the father still pursues him. And just like every other story, the father had thrown a party after he found what he was looking for. And he just says, why don't you come into the party too? I find this fascinating that Jesus, God himself, when faced with the complexities of the world and the questions of the world and the wondering eyes of a crowd, who came to hear him with open hearts, what do you have to say? He didn't sit them down and start dividing them into groups. He didn't start dividing them into groups on uh, who was right and who was wrong. He didn't start dissecting their lives, saying, well, you have this position about drinking, and you have this position about capital punishment. You have this, he didn't start dividing them up about who was right and who was wrong. He didn't divide them up about Okay, well, if you watch CNN, you sit over here. If you watch Fox News, you sit over here. And then everybody looked at each other and didn't know that people of the opposite were allowed to be in church, right? Like, and then nobody was friends because they found out who, what news station they really watched. Okay, I just extrapolated that. But anyways, he didn't sit them down and start dividing them. Who's black? Who's white? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who can be in church? Who can't? Who's rich? Who's poor? Who do I love? Who do I not? Who's on the right track? Who's on the wrong track? Jesus didn't sit them down and start dividing them. He sits all of them down together, looks at all of them in the eyes at a wondering world. What do you have to say, God? He looks at them in the eyes and all of the complexities of their lives, and he tells them a few stories. He tells them three stories, and they all have the same message. And the message is simple to this complex crowd. Hey, guys, you're the one. And everything that you have going on in your life, and all of the questions that you have, what I really want you to know is you are the one. Let me tell you some stories to explain you are the one. I want to tell you a story to explain to you that, that in everything that you have going on and all the questions about yourself and God and your friends and the world, you're the one worth searching for. When you walk off into a wilderness, even when you do it by yourself, you're the one worth searching for. I want to tell you a story to, know, to let you know that, that you are the one worth turning heaven upside down and inside out for so that I can come and find you and let you know that you may feel like you're far off and strung out, but you're not a lost cause. You didn't slip through the cracks in the mattress to be disappeared forever. No, I know you. I see you. I'm going to find you, and I'll do whatever it takes to get you. You're the one. And I want to tell you a story to let you know that, that you're the one. You're the one. When heaven looks at you, you're the one worth waiting for. You're the one worth waiting for day after day. When you're running along, wasting everything that God gave you, you're the one worth waiting for because maybe just one day you'll wake up and you'll come home. And you're the one. You're the one worth pursuing. 
You're the one worth pursuing when you choose yourself not to come close. When you worry about what's fair and what's not fair. When you get caught up in all the wrong things and you get distracted by all of this stuff, you're the one that I pursue. Maybe this isn't the message that you came for, crowd. But what you need to know is that you are the one. And when we see Jesus in this moment, when we see what is God like, what is the display of God in a complex world, we see that Jesus did what he always does when faced with the complexities of the world. He just gives himself. He says, you came for so much, so I want to give you myself. I've so loved you that I'm going to give you myself. And he gives himself, and he gives himself, which means he actually believes that he's enough for all of this stuff. Isn't that crazy? He's like, Jesus actually apparently believes that he is enough for every question, every need, every situation in your life, in all of history, in all of the future. Jesus really thinks he's enough. And there's this truth about Jesus that'll change your life if you let it. I want you to write, write this down. Jesus is so secure about who he is that he doesn't have to worry about who you aren't. Jesus is so secure in who he is that he doesn't have to worry about who you aren't. What this means is that salvation is not a destination. It's an invitation. That's what this means, is that, that this is just the beginning, that when you receive this message, this truth that I'm the one, I'm the one, this isn't the end of your story. Okay, I'm the one, I got found. No, this is the beginning of the story. It's time to party. Come on now, it's in the Bible. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. This, this is, you're good, good. Whoa. This is radical right here, what Jesus says to this crowd. I'm so secure in who I am. I'm so not worried about who you aren't that I can make you the one. And this is just the beginning. Now that I've found you, this is just the beginning. Now that I've found you, I want to invite you in close. I want to invite you to party with me. I want, you to be, I want to invite you into what I'm doing in the world, in your life, in other people's lives. Come on now. This is just the beginning. You did not just arrive at the destination crowd when you found out, oh my gosh, I'm the sheep. Oh my goodness, I'm the coin. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. See, the fact, when, when you realize that you are the one to receive this good news, you realize you are the one to give it away. That's how you know you really got it. When you realize, whoa, okay, I'm good now. I don't have to be worrying about myself because God's not even worried about who I'm not. I don't have to worry about who I'm not, which means I can go be who I am. And I'm the one. I'm the one in this life situation right here, right now. God can use me just because I'm the one. I'm the one that's here. Maybe he could use somebody else, but they're not here right now. I'm the one. See, you've got something to give. You have something to give in your life. God has put so much in you and you are the one. You are the one that God has loved and you are the one who God has called. And what God has put in you, he wants to start overflowing out of you. This is the invitation. 
And the truth is, is that sometimes we forget this part. Sometimes we, we forget this part. And the, the other part of the truth is, is that sometimes the devil knows what we're capable of more than we know what we're capable of. Here's what I mean. You've been saved by the love of Jesus and filled with the very spirit of the living God. His kingdom is inside of you and you are free to let it out as much as you'd like. And the thing is, the devil knows that. The devil knows that and sometimes he knows that a whole lot more than we do. But the devil can't disqualify you. The devil can't disqualify you from being saved, from being filled with the Holy Spirit and from being called to be a part of what God's doing in the world. He can't disqualify you from carrying the kingdom of God. But what he will try to do is distract you. Because if he can't disqualify you, he will distract you because he doesn't want you knowing what you should know and doing, therefore, what you should do. He doesn't want you to know that you're the one that God loved. But once you know you're the one that God loved, he really doesn't want you to know that you're the one God called. Because then you start causing problems for the devil. And since he can't disqualify you, he will try to distract you. And these are two very different things. Being disqualified and being distracted are two very different things. When you're disqualified, that's an identity problem. Who you are is not right. You are not the right one for the job at hand, for the thing at hand. You are disqualified, right? Right? When you're disqualified, you have an identity problem because you are not the one. When you are distracted, it's not an identity problem. You don't need to be somebody else. You just have a focus problem. You're not the wrong one. You're just focused on the wrong thing. You're just distracted. And they feel really similar, right? See, the devil tries to convince you that when you're distracted, you're actually disqualified. But he can't disqualify you. And there's some things that he'll do to distract you. And as, Don't worry, we're, we're going to close here pretty soon. But I'm going to give you just, just three simple distractions that the devil uses in your life to keep you from being the one. Being the one that God called you to be. Being the one that you are supposed to be, that you're made to be, that you want to be. Three distractions. Number one is sin. He'll put this distraction in your life. He's not going to make you sin, but he'll make sure your path is filled with the options. He'll let, you, he'll let you sin, and it sounds like this. You can do something else. Yeah, you're the one, but you can do something else. You can do something else. You're the one that God has, has called to lead your family in purity, but, but you can do something else. You're, you're the one that has the opportunity to be generous in your life, but, but you can do something else. You're the one that can do what God has called you to do, but you, you can do something else. It's, this is the Jonah thing, right? Jonah, go to Nineveh. I think I'll go somewhere else. He'll put sin in, in, in our path. We don't like talking about sin because how could God judge sin? It's, no, we're gonna just be really clear and cut through a bunch of garbage. Like when we sin, like we choose sin. That's our deal. We choose to look at God and say, no, you know what? You're wrong, I'm good, I got it. Let's do this my way. But then in his mercy, he sends Jesus and we get to repent and pay no cost and be set free and my goodness, thank you, Jesus. The devil tries to distract you with your sin, but here's the thing. Even when you're in your sin, you are still the one that you're called to be. Your identity hasn't changed. You've just gotten distracted. And there's some people, even in this room, and there's a lot of people in our world and in our churches that are following Jesus thinking they're disqualified because of a choice that they made, because of a sin that they chose, but they didn't get disqualified. You just got distracted. 
When you get disqualified, you've got a big problem because you are not the one. But when you're distracted, it's not that big of a problem. Just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. Okay. Number two, we should move on. Number two, the second distraction is discouragement. Discouragement. He's going to try to distract you with discouragement. Discouragement just sounds simply like this. Sin was, you can do something else. You're the one, but you can do something else. Discouragement sounds like, yeah, you're the one, but you can't do it. You're the one, but you can't do it. Yeah, you're the mom for your kids, but you can't really do a very good job of that. You're the, you're the husband for your wife, but you'll never do that good of a job at that. You're the one with that idea, but you're not the one to do it. You can't do that. Look at yourself. Or look at them. They should do it. Look at all they've got. He's going to distract you with discouragement. And when you're discouraged, you really start thinking you're disqualified, just like when you sin. But you're not disqualified. You're just distracted. It tries to convince you that you're disqualified, but you're just distracted. So just look at Jesus. And the third thing that'll give to distract us is passivity. Passivity. Passivity sounds like this. Yeah, you're the one, but you don't have to. You're the one to do it, but you don't have to do it. Come on. Don't get a little legalistic. You don't have to. You don't have to like, spend time with God to earn his love. I mean, come on. Like, when did earning the love become the thing? Why can't I just get up to encounter the love? Come on. <laughs> Jesus is good. Passivity, you don't have to. You don't have to be the one to do it. You don't have to be the one to, to give. Like, come on. Like, money, that's, wow. Yeah, you don't have to do that. Somebody else can do that. You've got a lot going on. You don't have to be the one to, to, to fill that need that you see in your friend's life or the, that you see in church or that you see in your kid's life. You don't have to be the one to step into that opportunity. That looks complicated and you're busy. There's probably somebody else that has a lot more time and probably a lot more passion and they're probably better equipped anyway. So you're probably not the one. You're not disqualified. Passivity says, well, I can't, I'm just, I'm not the person. No, you are the one. You are the one. Jesus' people realize that the devil can't discourage or can't disqualify us. He's just trying to distract us. And if we want to be Jesus' people, we've got to start flipping the script on our distractions, flipping the script on our sin, on our discouragement on our passivity and just on the devil himself. And he's been sitting you down in a chair telling you all the reasons why you're not the one and it's time to flip the script and sit him down and tell him, you know what, devil? No, I am the one. I am the one. Jesus says, I am the one. I am the one that God loves. I am the one that God's called. And you know what, devil? You might be right about all those reasons why I'm not the one, why I shouldn't be the one, why I'm discouraged, why I screwed it up, why somebody else could do a better job, why I made a bad decision. Maybe you're right, but I'm the one that's here. How many, there's this radical reality of Jesus that I heard somebody put it this way one time. Wherever you are, there you are. Wherever you are, you're the one. Maybe, maybe somebody else is a better mom, but you're the one your kids have and you're the one to do it. 
Maybe somebody else is a better husband, but you're the one that your wife has. And so it's time to be the husband. You may think, oh, I don't know if I could do a good job for my boss. I don't know if I could love my neighbor like this. I don't know if I could tell my family about Jesus. But you know what? Maybe somebody else could do a better job. Maybe you should call somebody else who's really trained and equipped. But you know what? Why don't you do it? You're the one. You're the one that's there. You're the one that God put in your family, that God put in your workplace, that God put in that life situation, you put in your neighborhood, that put in this hard time that you got going on that saved you out of that sin so that maybe you could tell somebody, no, I know what it's like to not have the road all paved. I just know I need Jesus. You're the one. Come on now, you're the one. You're the one. You're the one that Jesus loves and you're the one that Jesus has called. I want you to stand up this morning as we close our time together in worship. As Jesus people, I want to challenge us this year to take on this truth and renew our minds with the reality that when I'm faced with something, I'm the one faced with it, so I'm the one to face it. We are the ones. We are the ones. In this room, as Jesus followers in general and us in this room, I want us to make this realization as Christians for sure, but I also want us to make this realization for us, you know? Like, us, okay, we're the ones. We're the ones. We're the ones to believe God in this city. We're the ones to, to believe God in our different life situations. We're the ones to be in this city, in this moment, believing in this Jesus to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not gonna wait for somebody else to come along. We're not gonna wait for everybody else who knows how to do it better to do it. You know, we're the ones. We're the ones that love Jesus with our hearts and souls and mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We're the ones. We're the ones. We're the Jesus people. And that's what we do. We do what we do that God's given us to do. We're the ones. You are the one. As we close this morning, we're gonna sing one more song together and we're gonna have some people over to the side available to pray with you. If you wanna have somebody to pray with, you wanna need to respond to something, don't leave without getting prayer if you know you need it. They're gonna be off to the side, but as we worship in these moments together, I don't want these to just be a song at the end of a service because that's what we do. Let these be a moment where you come to hear Jesus. Be one of the crowd. Come up to him and let him, let him speak. Come to hear Jesus and ask him maybe some simple questions. Jesus, show me I'm the one. Show me I am the one. Show me I'm the one that you've loved. Where am I not believing that you love me? Where am I not seeing that you've loved me? What part of my life am I, kept, am I keeping hidden from your love? Would you show me that I'm the one? And show me the one, show me that I'm the one that you've called. Show me, Lord. Show me what you've given me that I haven't picked up to do. Show me what you've given me that I haven't started, that I've pushed off, that I've pushed off to the side and didn't think I could do it. Show me, Lord. Show me what it is that you've given me to do that I'm not doing yet. Show me who you've given me to love that I haven't started loving yet. Show me what is mine to do. Show me that I'm the one that is called. I'm gonna pray for us and I just want to, to open your heart up to Jesus and let him speak to you. And again, please go have somebody pray with you if you need to. If you need to respond to something that God's been doing in you this morning, go, go over there. If you need a miracle in your life, please go have somebody pray for you. If you need anything else at all, prayer's a good place to start. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to Jesus and have him, have him, never given him your life so that he can forgive your sins and make you new. 
and you've never accepted this invitation into life, do not leave without talking to somebody. Talk to who you came with. Go over and talk to somebody on our team. We've got plenty of time. We've got all day to talk with you. Please don't let this moment pass by. Don't get distracted. Now's the time. Jesus, we love you so much. I love you so much. And I thank you, Lord, that when we see you faced with the complexities of the world, you give yourself. Would you show us who you are in these final moments together? And Jesus, would you come? come, We're coming to hear you right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be in this room, be in our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears. Would you show us, God, show us that we are the ones.